Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. An honest question deserves an honest response. I was having lunch with my daughter Olivia a couple weeks ago, and as we were having lunch, we were looking out of the window and we saw this sign hanging in the parking lot, $500,000 weekly winner guaranteed. And we got to the end of the meal and I had the packaging at the restaurant in which uh, you would pull the tab to see if you were the $500,000 winner. I said, Olivia, Olivia here, pull the, pull the tab. Play the game. She said, no, I don't, I don't want to play the game, Daddy. I mean, she was visibly shaking. I don't want to play the game. No, 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 Daddy, I'm not playing the game. And, and I said, Olivia, why not? It's a fun game. Why not play the game? And she said, Mommy says money doesn't solve people's problems. <laughs> 
And as I pondered this great wisdom, I then got another surprise. With her big brown eyes, she looked up at me as innocent as possible and said the following, Daddy, would you want to win $500,000? An honest question deserves an honest response. Paul has a series of five questions for us. We're going to focus in on verses 31 through 35. If you have your Bible open or you want to open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, these five questions will jump off of the page. And what we'll see is that I will provide an honest answer to four out of the five questions. But only you can provide an honest answer for yourself to one of the questions. In fact, it's actually the most important question in the book of Romans. And I just want to pause and welcome the kids and the students to the service once again. We're so glad you're here. In the little bulletin that we have for the kids, there is a thing about how many times Travis is going to say Romans. I've said it once. That was number two, kids. So if you're keeping track, I'm on number two. Because we've been studying the book of Romans. That's number three. For the past 11 weeks, we've been studying this. And we've gotten to this eighth chapter, and we'll actually pick up the end of the study of Romans after Easter. And we have these five questions here, and the first one comes right there in verse 31. Paul's first question is this, and this is the most important question in the book of Romans. Number four, kids, I'm not going to help you after this. And we know that in, excuse me, number, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? What then shall we say in response to this? And you might go, in response to what? In response to all that Paul has been teaching us up till now in the book of Romans. And this is kind of a dividing line in Paul's structure of the book. He's about to launch into a different argument in chapters 9 through 11 before he finishes with practical living in chapters 12 through 16. So he's saying, what then is going to be our response to all that I've said so far in the book of Romans? We started in chapter 1. We learned about the gospel. The gospel that Jesus' death opened a pathway to life. That's good news. That's what gospel means. We learned that righteousness has been revealed. That righteousness sounds like a complicated word, but it just means right relationship. That right relationship can be revealed in your life, in my life, in our life together through faith. Uh, Paul taught us in chapter 1 of the book of Romans. Through faith in Jesus. We also learned in chapter 1 that the gospel is for everyone. That there's no one that is too far from God's saving grace. There's no one for whom this good news is not for, that all can turn and profess faith in Jesus and begin to see him start to transform their lives. And we saw that powerfully on display in the Worship Buddies video from last week. I loved seeing that video. It's on our website. If you missed church last week, you have to see this video because it is such a picture of how we are trying to open our doors as wide as possible for people, because we truly believe that the gospel is for everyone. We learned in chapters 2 and 3 that life apart from the gospel doesn't work. 
That when we don't embrace this good news, our lives uh, face all kinds of difficulties. Our relationships break down. We learn in chapter 4 that there are obstacles to faith. In chapter 5, that there are benefits to faith. We learn in chapter 6 that life my way leads to death, but making my life God's life leads to life. Chapter 7, we, we learn that we all have this fatal flaw that leaves us feeling stuck. But God rescues us from our fatal flaw. We learned in chapter 8 last week, Rich taught us that the gospel makes us the very children of God. And Paul comes in the second half of chapter 8 and says, what then shall we say in response to this? That's question number one. Let's look at question number two. Question number two is right there in the second half of verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? I was at one of my favorite places in Williamsburg this past Wednesday night, Kaplan Arena at William & Mary Hall to watch the tribe take on the shock of Washington Adventist University. And something funny happened. Something funny happened. I'm there with my kids and some of their friends. Here's a picture of them all there. And a man turned around and said, can you ask the kids to stop cheering? I thought, we're at a basketball game. It's what you do. You know, I felt like we were in a Geico commercial, you know. We're at a basketball game, you know. It's what you do. You cheer, you know. And when this is a basketball stadium filled with other people, including you, who are supposed to cheer. And so I tried to be gracious to this guy, and I moved the kids back a row. But I thought, this guy doesn't know something, because maybe my kids might get in some trouble with the athletic department. But two of the kids in the picture... Those are two of the coach's daughters, okay? One of the coaches, one of the, uh, the assistant associate head coach's daughters there. And so I thought, you know, if coach wants these kids in the game, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a lot you can do to keep them out of the game. And so I just kind of had this phrase, if coach is for us, who can be against us? As we cheer on the tribe, if coaches for us, who can be against us? And Paul's saying, I got someone with a lot more clout than coach. It's not the coach, it's the creator of this whole universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of me and you and everything you've ever seen, and all the stars in the heavens and the planets that are off in distant galaxies that we can't even fathom the distance between us and them. The God who is the creator of this universe, he is for us, Paul is saying. If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? And you know what the answer is? No one. If coach wants the kids at the basketball game, the kids are going to be there. If God is for us, there's nothing in this world that can stand against us. Question three, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. You can see this in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? There are all kinds of situations in our lives where people seem to be bringing charges against us. One of the uh, ones I hear most is a pastor. It's not a person. It's, um, it's a concept. It's an idea. People say, my past pastor accuses me. I can't forget about the things I've done. I can't let go of them. I can't accept that I am truly forgiven. And you don't know how many people I hurt or you don't know what I said to that person 
or what I did to this person, my past. It just constantly uh, accuses me. Sometimes old friends from our past say, you say you're changed. You say you have this new life in Christ. You say you have a, a, you're a new creation. It's just a matter of time before you slide back or, or relationships with our parents that get sticky. And that love that should have been there wasn't there. And the, that relationship accuses us or, or coworkers or maybe even a spouse that says, you're not the person I, I thought I was marrying. Now, there's a fine line between, between accusation and accountability, right? We're called to be accountable. We're called to listen to feedback. But accusation is, is feedback without hope. It's saying, you know, that you are that person and there's no hope of you becoming a new creation. Accountability says, hey, you've been behaving like this and that's not right, but I see Jesus working in your life and here's how you can actually be guided to become that new person that we know he calls us to be. Who will bring any charge against us? The word accuser is actually deeply rooted in the scripture because the word Satan literally means accuser, one who accuses us. Paul says, with our new life in Christ, who will bring any charge against us? You go back to that first question, if God's for us, who can be against us? Who's gonna bring the charge? The answer is, no one. The next question in verse 34 is similar. Who's, who is he that condemns? The truth is Paul took on. Excuse me, Paul, not Paul. Paul is writing about a better person than Paul. Jesus, Jesus took on our condemnation. That's what Romans chapter 8 is all about. You flip back to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. It's how the chapter started. Therefore, there is how much condemnation? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus took on our condemnation. So who will bring a charge against us? No one. Who is he that condemns? No one. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one can be against us. And so Paul moves on to question number five. It's in verse 35. Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us? And after Paul asked that question, he lists a few options of things people think might be able to separate them. Paul says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul's basically saying circumstances. Is there a circumstance in your life that could actually separate you from the love of God? Paul gives an answer. He says in verse 37, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And I love that Paul says we're more than conquerors because this is a key point. He's writing to people. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the Romans who are quite familiar with conquering, right? The Romans live in the Roman Empire who has conquered more territory than any civilization up to this point in history. They enjoy unparalleled peace, unparalleled economic prosperity. And Paul thinks, Paul's saying, you think you're conquerors, Romans. You think you're conquerors. But those who are in Christ Jesus, they are more than conquerors. 
And I love there's a Greek word he uses. And kids, we are going to get to learn Greek together, believe it or not. No matter if you're in kindergarten through fifth grade or middle school or high school, you can learn some Greek at church today. Because the word Paul uses for more than conquerors is the word hyper-Nike. You ever have Nike shoes? Nike shoes are cool shoes, right? Why are they called Nike shoes? Because Nike means win. Nike means victory. Kids, have you ever had your mom or dad say, hey, you're being too hyper Calm down, slow down, stop all that crazy activity. Paul's saying, you're hyper Nike. You're hyper victorious. You're hyper winning. You're hyper conquerors. You're more than conquerors. And he goes on to say, let me tell you what this looks like. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither Angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's touching on every category we can think of, then he gives a catch-all category at the end. He basically says there's nothing in your human experience, death or life. There's nothing in the spiritual realm, angels or demons, There's nothing in time, the present or the future. There's nothing in the government. There's no governmental act, or let me me put it this way in the times we live in. There's no foe of our government or one of our allies' governments. There's nothing they can do to separate us from the love of God. There's nothing in any achievement, high achievement we get to, or failure that we find ourselves in. No height, no depth. And Paul says at the end, really, there's, if you can think of anything, anything you can think of kind of covers anything else in all of creation. Who can separate, Paul says? The answer, no one. Listen to the answer to all four of the questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. Who is he that condemns? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. I've done my part. I've supplied four out of five answers to the questions that Paul asks. The only question left to answer is the first one. What then shall we say in response to all this? And that's up to you and to me to answer as individuals. What is our response to the gospel? Back to my lunch with Olivia, when she looked at me and said, Daddy, would you want to win $500,000? What's she really asking? What she's really asking is, is there something in this world that solves problems? Mommy says money's not going to solve people's problems, but what do you think, Daddy? That does sound like a good chunk of money. Is there something, Daddy, that you're aware of that solves problems? I have good news for Olivia. I have good news for everyone. The answer is yes. There is something that solves our problems, and that something is the gospel And we started 11 weeks ago looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And in closing, I just want to paraphrase this pastor's scripture for us. Because I said this, above all else, this is what Paul wants us to hang on to. This is what he wants us to know. If we don't learn anything else from the Romans, we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. 
When people ask us, is there a solution to the problem that they're facing in, in their life? We don't have to be ashamed to say, yes, I do know the solution. And it's the good news that Jesus Christ's death opened up a pathway to life. And his resurrection means that you have power to live your life today. We don't have to be ashamed of that because it's the power of God to save people from the stuck situations in which we find ourselves. This gospel is righteousness revealed. We actually can have right relationship with God and with each other. It's revealed by faith. You just have to put your faith in Jesus, and that might be the appropriate response if you've never done that this morning. This righteousness that is revealed by faith is uh, for everyone. There's no one to whom this doesn't touch, and the righteous actually live by faith. It's not a one-time event. There's actually a lifelong commitment of discipleship that follows. Is there something that solves our problems? The answer is yes. And it's the gospel. I pray on this last Sunday of this series that you will respond to that good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now and ask that you would fill our hearts with your good news to the point that we might know you personally through faith. I pray, Lord, for any who have not embraced that good news in their hearts, that they might embrace it now, welcoming you into their lives and in so doing, cross from death to life. Thank you, Lord, for this good news. And I pray that it would lead us and guide us as we go forth from this place this week. In your name we pray, amen.